This is a Founding Media podcast. Welcome to our show, From Tanks to Teleportation, a podcast where we explore the intersection of technology, business, and national security with leaders of the Defense Innovation Unit, which is part of the U.S. Department of Defense. I'm your host, Dan Dillard, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Zach Walker, who is the Texas lead for the Defense Innovation Unit. Eringer Helbling is currently a U.S. Army Reserve Captain for the DIU, as well as the Director of Operations for Hawkeye 360, which is a radio frequency data analytics company. She is also a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, and she worked as the Falcon 9 Rocket Legs Planner at SpaceX before moving over to Hawkeye 360. Doug Beck is Vice President for Apple Inc., reporting directly to CEO Tim Cook and leading several of Apple's businesses worldwide. He's been at Apple 11 years and previously led Apple's businesses in the Americas and Northeast Asia. But of course, that's not all he does. He is also a Navy Reserve officer and a civilian advisor to multiple secretaries of defense. Both of our guests are executives by day and servicemen and women by night. In other words, superheroes. Let's get into our conversation. Doug, Aaron, we're honored to have you both on the show. I'm excited to learn more about your backgrounds. Aaron, to get started, I'd love to learn more about your interests. Sounds like you have a passion for space, technology, and service. Can you tell me more about the passions and maybe beginnings of your decisions when you started that career? So I joined the Army um, at, through West Point. I started when I was 17, and I initially did not want to go to a military academy. My dad, he was a graduate, and I had all of my preconceived notions of what the military was. Uh, it wasn't until I was recruited to play soccer at West Point that I decided I would be polite to my father and go for a visit. And I immediately fell in love because of the people that were there and the opportunities. And it just seemed like such a great experience for someone young like me that wants to see a microcosm of America. And so I decided to go. I had no idea if I was going to pass. Actually, my parents had a running bet if I was going to stay or not. <laughs> they thought that I was probably going to leave after my sophomore year, but somehow I stayed. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I got to study systems engineering and decided I love this engineering thing, so I'll be an officer. I wanted to do combat engineering. So for those that are not as familiar with the Army Engineer Corps, we do everything from construction to explosives to geospatial engineering with data. And I thought, I'm going to go to Fort Bragg and I'm going to be a paratrooper that blows things up and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and so I fully prepared for that. And then I show up at Fort Bragg and they assign me to a geospatial engineering platoon. And I think, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to play with data. I signed up to play with explosives and jump out of airplanes. <laughs> and so uh, I tried my hardest to frankly leave the unit, but I ended up staying. And that's when I actually started to fall in love with space and space data and the power of the data that comes from space to help inform decision makers to make the place safer. And so 
Uh, fast forward to when I was kind of later on in my army career, and I was working at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and I was able to see really at a macro scale how powerful space data can be. And so when I left the reserve, when I left the active component, I had no idea what to do, but I just knew that I wanted to keep the world safe. And so um, SpaceX was a place I never imagined myself going to, but uh, after talking to a West Point graduate, he said, you know what, you should try it out. You know, I know you don't have any launch experience or any space experience other than working with data, but just give it a go and see. And so when I went to visit SpaceX and I saw the factory floor where you see the engines being made and all of these things where it's just incredible, all of that innovation, I could not say no if I was offered the job. Fun fact, during my interview, I actually physically ran into Elon by accident <laughs> and he would never remember me at all. And I thought, well, if I'm going to get this job, it'll be a miracle, but I did and it was really fun. So I never thought I'd be in space, but that's kind of how I ended up there. So it was just a turn of lucky events, to be honest. Doug, for you, your accomplishments are really humbling. How'd you go from like Yale, Oxford to Navy Reserve to Apple, and then serving to as a civilian advisor to our senior leaders in the military? You know, like so many in the military, I just wanted to serve my country. And um, I, I thought about going to the Naval Academy, uh, I, and uh, I would have done Naval ROTC at Yale if it had existed back then. Sadly, it didn't. It does now. Um, but uh, um, but I, I wanted to serve from the beginning. And um, uh, I thought about going, uh, going to OCS when I graduated from Yale, and I ended up winning this uh, the scholarship to go off to Oxford, and so, uh, so off I went. And then uh, I thought about going uh, and working for the, uh, going into the military when, uh, when I finished there. Um, and, uh, and I got this, um, I'd actually written my thesis on, uh, on the way in which uh, large transnational corporations were, uh, were operating and impacting policy. And the reason I did that was, was because I'd done a little bit of work in between for the US government doing trade with Japan and I was, um, I was simultaneously incredibly impressed by, the, um, by the, the talented people that I worked with, but I also was, was a bit worried that uh, the world was changing so fast and global corporations had so much impact on the way in which international affairs operated. But um, it seemed as, to me as though there were many in the foreign policy space who, uh, who didn't have a lot of deep experience with the uh, with, um, uh, with the private sector and with how these big companies, particularly technology companies work. And so I wrote my thesis about that and I decided I was going to be one of the people who kind of got it. Nice. So I went off to go, uh, went off to go work, uh, for McKinsey, uh, and company, which is a management consulting firm. And I, uh, was immediately off doing all kinds of incredibly interesting international things, uh, learning how global corporations thought. And I thought I'd do that for just a couple of years and, uh, and then, uh, get back on my track. Uh, of, uh, of serving full-time, and it, it quickly became apparent that I was learning so fast and, uh, and was gaining experiences that I thought would be really valuable, but I didn't want to wait to serve. And so um, I still, uh, uh, so I, I uh, the, the Navy had talked to me about it, it was a direct commission program at the time, and uh, I, I called them back, and, uh, and uh, I took time off from McKinsey to go get commissioned, and really, uh, my life has been two tracks ever since. Um, 
and uh, and it's it's th those two tracks have been uh, completely uh, central to the to the way my career is and my life has developed. Aaron, I'm really curious about your work over at SpaceX. What was that like, and what was your favorite experience once you were there? It was a, just a world of invention, and I really admired all of the people I worked with. I was never the smartest person in the room. I was surrounded by just brilliant people in every way. And what I enjoyed the most about SpaceX was, of course, the technology was amazing, but what I really enjoyed was the mission focus. Everyone at SpaceX knew why they were there, and it was to revolutionize the way we have access to space, whether it's launching a GPS satellite or working on how do we get humans to Mars, everyone knew their purpose there. And so my purpose was to work with the one thing that's not very transferable to the rest of the launch industry, which are the landing like uh, hardware system. And I was assigned the task to kind of lead engineering and procurement and mission management to bring this new design to life. And that was converting the landing like hardware from a two to three flight reuse system to a 10 flight reuse system. And that was meeting Elon's vision of let's make the space domain very similar to the air domain where we can take a launch vehicle and use it like an aircraft. Maybe mm -hmm. every now and then we replace the tires, we perform maintenance here and there, but ultimately we should have access to space very similar to how we have access to um, aircraft. And so that was an amazing experience, uh, just being able to see across the company how people work together to bring that to life was really cool. So when I, um, I had to leave SpaceX because I needed to get back to the East Coast. And um, I still joke to this day that if we decide to open up a, a BFR operations center in DC, I'm just gonna go there <laughs> and work on that. Um, but I was looking for an amazing company that kind of, meets the intersection of defense needs and building a completely new commercial technology and Hawkeye 360 is that. It's a first to market radio frequency based geoanalytics company where they, the most valuable thing that the company has are these three satellites that are flying together in orbit around the earth and they detect and geolocate emission, radio frequency emissions on the earth, whether it's satellite, you know, uh, communications like a satellite phone or um, an automatic identification system for a vessel or a push to talk radio, we can geolocate that. And so when you take that data and you combine it with all of these other sources that help us understand the world and its activity, it's really powerful. And um, right now I'm the director of operations there and I, I really enjoy seeing that intersection of we have all of these customers that want to make the world a safer place. And how do we, using this commercial and shareable technology, solve those problems? Um, so it's been a fantastic experience from Satellite Commission to now seeing the, not only the growth of the technology, but the growth of a company during this time. So, so Doug, let's shift over to your 23 plus years in uniform. So in the reserves, it's taken you to Iraq, you to Afghanistan. You've gotten a Bronze Star, a Combat Action Ribbon, some pretty remarkable accomplishments. And then, of course, founding and leading a, a Secretary of Defense top priority in the Defense Innovation Unit. If you could please tell us a bit about that time in uniform, uh, how it led you to Apple, 
and why you've chosen to continue this and have these, as you said earlier, these two different tracks in life? For three reasons um, uh, that, that together make it so that even though I have, I've loved every step of my civilian career, there are times when it is easier for me to get out of bed at uh, 4.30 in the morning to go stand watch um, to do something that people might think is boring um, than, uh, than it is uh, to, to go and do something that sound, might, might be a lot, more, a lot more exciting and get up an hour or so later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, it's really been about three things um, that are all brought together by, by purpose and, uh, and being some part of something that's greater than yourself. Uh, the first is just the incredible people who are drawn to that kind of life. Um, and uh, I've, I've had the privilege of serving with uh, some, some true heroes, uh, people whose casual heroism uh, every single day uh, is, uh, is, is just inspiring and inspires me every day. Um, and I, I just try to live, live, my, live up to that, uh, to that legacy of who those people are and what they do every day. And I, I've had the privilege of working with so many of them. And the second is the, is the, the sheer diversity of, uh, of people and really the best of America coming from every possible walk of life, every possible, uh, you know, ethnic group, every possible um, background uh, and set of experiences coming together uh, again in support of that purpose, um, which is, um, which is just again, inspiring uh, to me and, and uh, helps, helps me try to, to, to be a better person and be a better leader. I can't think of anywhere more innovative than, uh, than a joint special operations task force uh, in a combat area. Um, people from all different backgrounds, all focused on the mission, and uh, coming up with new ideas all the time. And, uh, and that's something that's taught me a lot. So you asked, you know, how, how I ended up at Apple, and, and it actually was kind of connected to that in a way. I, I got home from Afghanistan, and uh, at the time I was chief strategy officer for Charles Schwab. And um, I loved my job, but, uh, but I, I wanted to be a part of something that was um, even tighter connected to purpose. Um, uh, my friends, so many of my friends were still downrange and, um, I was really struggling with what I was going to do. Um, and I got a call out of the blue from Apple. Um, the second conversation was with Tim. Um, and, uh, within a few weeks I'd, I'd sort of met, uh, met everybody and had this incredible opportunity. I was already a big Apple fanboy, Um, but, uh, but, um, uh, what I what I discovered in those conversations was that Apple was a place that was all about purpose and all about trying to uh, uh, trying to make the world a better place and full of people who woke up every day uh, trying to do that was just an incredible opportunity and that sense of purpose that sense of of people from all different walks of life trying to come together to do something better themselves has been really what Apple's been like for me that's what it was like from day one it's what it's been like for eleven years and. Uh, um, uh, and I couldn't be happier. You were also there for uh, DIU's birth. Could you talk about how and why DIU got started and the role the reserves play in the original vision? So the, the idea actually w- came when, went back, this is about maybe around 2014. And, um, uh, you know, um, for the United States, our, our technological superiority, our ability to bring the latest innovation to the fight has been at the core of our success uh, in in war and our in our 
uh, deterrence of war um, for at least 75 or 80 years. Uh, although we had the, the, the locus of the, of, of the world's greatest technological innovation was right there in Silicon Valley, and although Silicon Valley had originally been born um, uh, out of a collaboration between the, the public sector, the private sector, and academia in support of National Security, that's how Silicon Valley got started um, before, and then, and then that tech sector that then rolled to places like Austin and Boston and all around the country, all, all of that was born in that collaboration. We kind of lost that, um, that connection. And um, you could argue back then that um, in some ways, the U.S. Defense Department was better tied to the militaries of some other countries than it was to our own our own oh. tech sector, and mm -hmm. that uh, the tech sector was maybe better tied to a lot of other countries than it was to our own DoD, wow. um, in including maybe even China mm -hmm. um, uh, at the time. And so the idea was, you know, we need to build that bridge, and it is an imperative, uh, uh, a national security, security imperative to build the bridge. And so um, that was what DIU was all about. And so uh, then Vice Chairman, uh, the Joint Chiefs, uh, uh, Admiral Winnefeld, pulled me out of my job working for Naval Forces Japan, my reserve job, and pulled me in to help, uh, help with that. Um, and from the very beginning, uh, the concept very much uh, included the use of reservists um, because uh, we have this incredible, unique strength in America um, that in the same way that we've got people who grow up uh, speaking every possible language you could imagine as a native speaker at home, but are Americans. That's a huge strength for us uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in national security, um, uh, as well as, as in other ways. We have people who live in both worlds and speak mm -hmm. DODEs and speak, uh, you know, civilian tech sectorese fluently, mm -hmm. uh, people like Aaron. Uh, that is a strength that we weren't taking full advantage of because a lot of those people were, um, they might be in the tech sector, but they, you know, they might be, they might be uh, driving an MRAP or something in their reserve job. And um, that was a strength that we wanted to find a way to take advantage of. Uh, so from the very beginning, that's been part of the vision for DIU, those people with dual fluency. Doug, you have a ton of responsibility with both Apple and the reserve role. How do you manage your day? Um, well, so it's, it's Apple reserve role and my family, uh, uh, which, uh, I think probably, uh, uh, needs to come first when, uh, we're talking about right. how, how you manage all that. And, mm -hmm. you know, first, first thing I'd say is, uh, you know, everybody's got these challenges to deal with. Um, even people who, who, who don't have dual roles, um, the, 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 the challenge of achieving balance uh, in in today's society is uh, is huge for everybody. Um, everybody in uniform, everybody who's a civilian, and and I think extra maybe for those people who uh, who do both. Um, I, I guess what I'd say is is two things. Both my my team at Apple um, and also my 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 military team. Um, uh, I've been incredibly lucky to have teammates uh, who uh, who respect my service uh, uh, in, with the other hat on, mm -hmm. and who uh, um, who just help make it possible by by leaning in in countless ways. I am curious. I see that outfit in the in the background. Do you carry both outfits in your car? I I do actually. Um, I uh, I literally, uh, although usually usually not that one, I usually carry the fatigues. Uh, I carry my my NWUs in the mm -hmm. in the trunk of my car because you never know when you're going to need it. Um, uh, but um, 
You know, it's funny that you, you mentioned the, the uniform and the outfits mm-hmm. because I think that's a, um, it's actually, there's, a, there's an interesting kind of analogy there for the, for the whole kind of topic of, of, of dual fluency and of connection and of communication and building this bridge. Um, because um, the, the way that um, that, that uniform, uh, you know, for those of us who are in the military, um, we're, there's an enormous amount of shorthand that's, that's in that uniform. When you see somebody walk up, you immediately know kind of what they do, where they've been, um, and so much about who they are, but you also see all kinds of things about them. Um, so uh, people who are really squared away in their uniform, you mm-hmm. see that. And that's how almost everybody is. Occasionally when you see somebody who's, who's not, mm-hmm. um, there's all kinds of shorthand that comes with that too that says, hmm, what else might not be right about this person? Yep. Right? It's part of the brand. Right, it's part of the brand. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's, there's so much that goes into that. And, and you know, a, a, a civilian might not even notice that that ribbon is hanging off to the side a little bit, but anybody in, mil- in the military sees that just like the person had two heads. Wow. And, um, and on, on the flip side, um, in, you know, the, the result of that is, is in a way when, when my military friends uh, can see, uh, see the way people sometimes are looking in the valley, they immediately see that and, you know, somebody who's in a t-shirt and whatever else, and they're like, hmm, does this person just not care? Are they not squared away? And, and that can get in the way. And the flip side, um, in, in uh, uh, you know, in, in the valley, um, people dress uh, casually and they, they don't dress casually just because they're lazy. Um, they dress casually because, you know, that, that, uh, that reflects a focus on what matters, right? right? And so um, when, when somebody shows up in, uh, you know, it's funny, the, my military friends show up and they're, they're wearing khakis and they, they, they worked really hard to dress down to wear khakis and a tucked in shirt and they still <laughs> stick out like a sore thumb. And, um, and, you know, whereas they think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm dressed about as casually as I can. The, 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 the folks of the tech sector who they might run into say on Apple's campus um, might look at that and say, you know, Hmm, that, you know, what does that say about them? Right. Because, because the uniform that we wear at Apple, which is whatever it is that you want to wear, it says it's open, it's unencumbered. Yep. It's focused on change and innovation. It's, mm-hmm. it's not focused on how you look. Right. And, um, uh, and when somebody shows up in a, in a tie, for example, it might say encumbered. It might right. say conservative. Yep. And so that starts uh, both sides off with a misunderstanding sometimes uh, that, uh, that we've all got to make sure that we're jumping in to find ways to bridge. And that's, that's why the dual fluency people who can help to translate uh, can really help. Hey, Doug, could you pull the thread quickly on that between you know the, the veteran that shows up in his or her press khakis and polo shirt to the skills that veterans have when they go to companies like Apple or SpaceX? I'm I'm really really glad you asked that question. I mean, may, maybe I'll just start by saying the 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 incredible talent that we have uh, in uh, in the military. And I mentioned before the 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 incredible diversity of talent uh, that. Uh, that exists in the military, the, the opportunity that we have in the military to have uh, people from all walks of life come together in support of purpose and get uh, just amazing training. And it's not just the kind of functional training that you, you might get in the military, but far more importantly, the training in, uh, in, in leadership, in, uh, in uh, self-sufficiency, uh, in focus, in teamwork, um, in 
uh, in results orientation, um, in just getting after it. Um, and that's, that's true for, for everybody who served and especially for those who've, uh, who served uh, in, you know, in any deployed capacity, which is essentially everyone. And um, uh, that talent base uh, is, um, is one that our, our experience certainly uh, in a place like Apple is uh, those people come out and, uh, and they, they're able to bring those, those skills to, uh, to bear in a new uniform. Now, it's, it's not always easy to make that transition um, because, uh, because there are things that are so different um, about the environments, as I just talked about. Um, but um, but uh, for those who can, and the vast majority can, um, that, uh, that, that set of skills and that, uh, and that energy makes those people uh, the the best uh, thinkers, doers, and uh, and leaders uh, in uh, in many ways that uh, that that uh, that I've had the privilege of coming in contact with, and and you know I think they're the kind of people that that we should all want on our team. And so you know I I I I think you know so message to all those employers out there in the civilian space. Um, my my counsel would be um, if you're not already finding ways to recruit from those pools, do it. Um, and, uh, and you will, uh, you will be incredibly happy, I think, with the results, uh, for the impact on your business. Plus, I also think we all owe it to, to ourselves, to society, and also to those people, uh, to help them figure out how to get those incredible skills online in a civilian context. Very well said. So now I have a question for, for both of you. Um, so what do you see as a top priority for the department moving forward and specifically Either what can DIU do about it, or why should other groups do something similar to what DIU's done the last five years in trying to leverage experts and expertise in, in new and different ways? I feel like DIU is not only essential in building a bridge between Silicon Valley and the commercial sector, but especially when you have reservists and those that can empathize with both sides. I think that's a lot of what DIU brings is it's not just a blank check to commercial companies that might or might not work with the defense sector, but it's a partnership and a relationship. And finding more ways to bring the defense side and the commercial side together is something that I hope not only does other areas in the defense department do, but I just think in general, I, in general, finding organizations that can build that bridge between the civilian sector and the military is what can make our country extremely strong and dif a differentiator and a leader um, when it comes to global security. So I think that that act of not only incentivizing working with the government, but building that partnership and relationship is something that I've seen has been extremely beneficial in having a mission impact and the way in which we do it by prototyping and iterating and working together has proven to be really powerful in building that relationship. So I think that's probably the number one priority is just maintaining that bridge and that relationship. And I think DIA has been a really big part of that. I think the the primary focus, and this is right in the National Defense Strategy, so it's uh, it's not like I made this up, but uh, this um, this incredibly critical uh, shift 
from uh, 20 years of, uh, of uh, focusing on, uh, on the, the war against uh, war in, on terror and the war on violent extremism, um, which obviously is still a long fight um, and, and continues, but, uh, but the critical shift to focus on, uh, on great power competition and ensuring that we're in a position uh, to deter and if necessary fight uh, those uh, those kinds of wars um, and the challenges represented uh, by uh, by the uh, the evolution of uh, of China, um, the uh, threats from uh, from Russia, um, and other other kinds of threats that are out there. Um, that's that's job one, um, and DIU plays an incredibly important role because uh, at the heart of that competition is the ability to leverage the absolute best of our uh, unique advantage as a nation um, around technology uh, in order to counter those threats um, and, uh, and deter uh, the possibility of war. And as, as I, as I said, if, if necessary, win. And, um, and DIU plays a critical role in helping to do that. Um, I, I do think it's, it's, uh, it's important for the defense department to be able to move really quickly. Now that DIU and so many other uh, uh uh, places across the department that are finding ways to uh, to identify uh, critical points of innovation that we also get much much faster at taking those that, those innovation and not just rolling them out in small numbers, um, but then scaling it in the way that only the United States Department of Defense can do. Um, and scaling it without inadvertently slowing it way down because we don't have time to slow down. I have a question for you both. I'm just really curious. How does the experience working as a reservist help you with decision making as an executive and maybe vice versa as well? Well, maybe I'll jump in and start on that. Um, the, um, you know, it's hard for me to parse really the, um, uh, the, what lessons come from where, because I feel like, uh, like uh, I am taking the, the, the skills that I've learned in uniform and I bring them to my job every day and the principles that I use uh, that, I, that I've learned there, um, principles of teamwork, of leadership, of, of innovation, of execution, of integrity. Um, and, uh, and I feel like uh, I take the principles of leadership that I've learned in my civilian career and bring them to my uniformed life uh, every day as well. And a lot of them are some of the same principles, but with a different lens. Um, so um, I, I definitely... Uh, find myself trying to think about things from both perspectives. And I, mm -hmm. I guess the, the other thing that, that tends to help a little bit, and this is one that, that maybe has come from my uniformed life into my civilian life, there are a lot of things in, uh, in, in the business world that, um, that, that we think about as risk and we think about as, uh, um, uh, as, as incredibly stressful, and they are stressful. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the kind of risk that we deal with uh, in, in civilian life, um, for the most part, unless you're you know, a, a healthcare worker or a first responder, mm -hmm. it's not real risk, right? right. It's uncertainty. Right. Um, it's uncertainty about how things are going to go, how the economics might work. Um, it might even be uncertainty about whether you have, you know, whether, whether the company is successful, whether people have jobs, but it's not risk. Nobody's going to die. Right. And, um, uh, and that perspective um, of, uh, for me at least, of having, uh, having lived through some real risk mm -hmm. um, at times uh, has been enormously valuable 
for me. And, and I, I find my, myself at times um, putting myself mentally in a place uh, where, you know, where I don't always want to go, but because it helps me to, re, to, to regain that perspective, um, which I think helps, helps make better decisions um, and, uh, um, and be a better teammate. Yeah, I just talked about dual fluency and dual empathy, mm-hmm. and I feel like being at a place like Hawkeye 360 and being just boots on the ground operationally, working satellite collections, working data delivery, working how do we prioritize the needs of all of our customers given this hardware set we have, that has been extremely helpful when working with DIU and trying to build that empathy of operationally, what does it truly take to make this happen and make it not only possible, but scalable to the rest of the department? That has been, I think, the most helpful thing for me. And also in turn, being at a place like DIU, I understand this broader ecosystem of leveraging innovation and trying to connect the dots of all of these different defense partners and what they need and how an entity like DIU tries to connect those dots and tries to harness those mission needs and find commercial solutions to apply them to the problems. That has been, um, I think, the most impactful thing for me is every day I have that empathy when I'm operating. Doug, I've got one last question for you, and it does deal with risk. So you have over 15 years working and living in Asia, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Jakarta, Tokyo, amazing, extensive time, both in uniform and as a civilian. You, unlike most others, understand this rise of China and the risk and the opportunities and threats better than, than most others. How do you think that we as a nation should be thinking about technology competition or cooperation with China? I mentioned that once upon a time I was a consultant, so um, I, I tend to think about this in the form of a of a two by two matrix. Um, uh, on the one dimension uh, is uh, uh, technology that is critical to national security, absolutely critical to the future of national security. Those technologies that we know are going to form the future uh, of um, of our of security competition. Um, and on the other dimension would be technologies that are critical to, uh, to our long-term economic success uh, as a nation. And um, there are, uh, the, the ones that are most, most valuable are, are on both lists. So they're upper right-hand corner. Um, and um, these are things like artificial intelligence, uh, autonomy, space, um, the um, uh, biotech, um, the semiconductor building blocks for so much of, uh, of what we're doing, um, aspects of, of, of 5G, um, particularly around kind of the infrastructure um, and, and then the application, uh, the applications that come with that and all the, the software development that's going to come on top of that to, to uh, take advantage of the other technologies. And um, so I, what I'd say is first, uh, the imperatives about being clear about where, which ones those are. And then within those value chains, because um, it's, it's not everything about that that matters, right? The, the, the assembly of the, of the thing isn't what matters. Um, the, the knowledge, the intellectual property, the critical materials, the, um, the ability to integrate those things, um, uh, the, the, um, 
those parts of the value chain are what matters most. And so thinking first about the technologies that matter most, second about the parts of the value chain that matter most, and then third, as a nation, uh, in a uniquely American way, just like Silicon Valley was originally built, um, what we need to do, I believe, is have the public sector, the private sector, um, and again, academia and the, the raw research that happens uh, in, uh, in science, because so much of this is so cutting edge, coming together to collaborate um, in, uh, in driving innovation forward and doing so within our country, as well as with um, our critical partner nations, because there are other, uh, other uh, very technologically uh, sophisticated countries that share our values, who are, who are our partners and allies, and we should be working together with them as well. Um, we should do all this in a way that is, um, uh, is supportive of and, uh, and, and based on our unique American system, which means uh, collaboration, investment, uh, focus, and, and connecting all that, even where the government is supporting and involved, um, connecting that to the free market and the, and the, the, the raw com com competition that comes from the, from the commercial environment, which is why things like DIU are so important. Um, and we should do it in a way that also reinforces and supports the uh, open international trading system uh, worldwide on which our whole economy is built uh, and, uh, and which our, our whole society is built on and really which American leadership around the world uh, is, uh, is built around as well. And so that's a tricky thing to make sure that you're doing it, that you're building that focus and you're driving hard on it. And the only other thing that I would say, and this is maybe a caution is as we focus on that upper right hand corner, we've also got to avoid uh, creating an inadvertently distraction uh, or, um, uh, or worse in the lower left-hand corner with things that maybe don't matter so much. That's a great point. As we wrap up, first I want to say thank you so much for the time you've spent with us, both of you. The one question I'd like to get from our guests is that one piece of advice you'd like to offer leadership to both DOD wanting to explore working with private sector solutions and maybe of companies that are looking to work with the DOD. I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself a little bit, but that's okay. I think the dual empathy piece is the most important thing by far, because if we don't have that, then you of course have the easy answer, which is we are inefficiently spending our taxpaying dollars to solve these problems. But I think more importantly, as a team, as a country, if we don't find ways to build that empathy and day-to-day -day work together on solving these problems where you have these dual incentives on both sides for the company to flourish and for the Department of Defense to keep our country and our allies safe, that is definitely, to me, the number one priority. And that's coming from a unique perspective of someone that's boots on the ground at a startup space company that's trying to trying to help solve these problems. So I would say that dual empathy by prototyping and iterating and building operational relationships is definitely the most important thing to me in the way I see things. For both sides, uh, the imperative is clear. Um, the, our, our, our Defense Department, I think, has, has woken up uh, very much to the, the criticality of, uh, of that intersection. And um, so my, uh, my advice there would be 
uh, first, if uh, to, to leaders across the department, um, if, uh, if you are seeing ways that you think technology might be able to help you with your mission, and today you can't figure out a way to get there um, using all the traditional uh, processes, don't accept that answer and uh, reach out, um, uh, uh, push on it, um, reach out to the Defense Innovation Unit um, or, uh, or to others in the system to try to figure out how you can get there. Um, and to my, my colleagues in the private sector, I would say um, uh, the, uh, that the, because that imperative is there, the opportunities are huge to, uh, to contribute. Um, there are big opportunities from a commercial standpoint there for business, um, but even more importantly, opportunities to contribute to something that, uh, that really, really matters. And, um, and that maybe leads me to the last point I'd make, which is for both. Uh, which is um, people on people on both sides share common values um, about uh, about this country, and uh, please don't underestimate uh, the uh, the number of people, uh, the number of patriotic people who are in the tech sector um, and who are eager to find ways to uh, to contribute. Obviously, they're also running businesses. Um, but eager to find ways to contribute to something larger than themselves. That's a lot of the reason why people went into the tech sector in the first place is because uh, they wanted to be part of something larger than themselves. They want to be part of changing the world with technology. Um, and, uh, and so they're there. And uh, for, for folks in the tech sector, um, uh, that, that there are people in, in the Defense Department who, who share your values um, and who, uh, who are eager to find ways uh, to be innovative, to use technology uh, to further that mission and help uh, help support uh, all of our uh, security uh, into the future. So I guess that'd be my my advice if I was going to leave anybody with anything. Great advice. Perfect. Aaron and Doug, thank you so much for sharing your dual fluency with us today, helping connect the dots, telling us what it's like to be a corporate executive and a superhero on the side as a, as a reservist. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thanks again to Aaron and Doug for joining us on the show today. We really enjoyed getting to learn more about what's going on in the private sector and how you're collaborating with the public from both of you. And thanks to you both for your many years of service to our country. It's so fun getting to learn more from you both. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend or colleague. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to listen to the previous episodes from Tanks to Teleportation to learn more about the exciting work the Defense Innovation Unit is doing. From Tanks to Teleportation is a partnership between the Defense Innovation Unit and Founding Media. It's created in Austin, Texas. To learn more about the DIU, please visit our show notes. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.